Are you dangerous? Maybe to some, but not to you. And I won't harm anyone. Why don't you have a home? My home is many places. Why? Because I have a much larger job than just being a craftsman or a teacher. You're a teacher too? I will be soon. Everyone has a much larger job than just a trade. And you are to show to love one another and to take God's word and share it and at home to honor your father and your mother and to love who most of all. The Lord your God with all your heart. Very good. But Jesus, why are you here? You ask an important question. The answer is for all of you. The, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's Isaiah. Yes, it's Isaiah. I have loved spending this time with you, and you are all very special. I hope that my next students ask the same questions you do and that they listen to my answers but I suspect they won't have the understanding you do. And I hope that when the time comes, they will tell others about me like you have. Today on Pop Culture Catechism, we are happy to welcome to the show the Bishop of the Diocese of Springfield, Massachusetts, Bishop William Byrne. And we are talking about the hit TV series, The Chosen, about the life of Jesus. Welcome to Pop Culture Catechism, conversations about music, movies, and the longings of the human heart. Let's get started. What was Jesus really like? We've heard the stories, his parables, his sayings, the stories of his miraculous healings, how he died on a cross and rose again on the third day, how he died on a cross for us to somehow save us from our sins. We've heard about his compassion for sinners, but also about his railing and his defiance against religious figures of his time. Was he really God? Was he really a human? Was he really all that he said he was? What did he even say that he was? And can we trust the stories from thousands of years ago? These are stories that anyone who has been to church, anyone who has spent any amount of time reading the scriptures, and anyone who has spent any amount of time watching the TV series, The Chosen, has had to grapple with at some point. If you think about it just a little bit deeper, who is this man, Jesus, who transformed our world? And was he who he says he was? I'm very happy today to be talking about The Chosen and to welcome to our show the Bishop of Springfield, Massachusetts, His Excellency, Bishop Bill Byrne. I am Mike Tenney, Catholic speaker and worship leader from Washington, D.C. I spent over a decade teaching Catholic high school theology and also trying to make it big as a rock star. And now I'm blessed to speak to thousands and lead music for thousands of people each year at events all over the place and through this show, Pop Culture Catechism. This is Pop Culture Catechism, the gospel according to pop music and movies where we look for God's love in the media that you're plugged into. So then when we unplug and turn off our phones and our tablets, we can go out in the real world and actually know God's love and live God's love and share it with the people around us. And our goal by the end of this episode is not only will you have a deeper appreciation for the chosen and learn a little bit about the life of Jesus, but you're going to have some tangible ideas for how today you can know God's love and live God's love better in your own life. I want to give a special thank you to all our patrons who make this show possible through popculturecatechism.com and the Awakened Catholic app. I want to welcome to the show, Bishop William Byrne. Welcome to the thank show, you, Your Mike. Excellency. Thank you, Mike. It's great to be here with you. 
Thank you. Uh, I've I've been we've been going back and forth, emailing back and forth with with your team and trying to get you on the show for a while. So I'm really grateful for your time. I know you're a busy guy. You got a lot going on. You got a a lot of people that you uh, care for and are a pastor for. So I'm I'm happy to have you here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Well, I was originally born and raised and was a priest for 26 years in the Washington D.C. area at the Archdiocese of Washington. Um, and that's where in my, uh, former life, I met you back at the university of Maryland. I was, uh, assistant priest in, in a couple of parishes and then ended up as chaplain for eight years at the university of Maryland, go Catholic Terps. Uh, and that's where I had the privilege of meeting you and so many incredible young men and women. And of my time there, there's about 14 guys who are priests. Um, from from the Catholic Student Center and about five women and who are in religious life and uh, scores of off, uh, awesome Catholic moms and dads. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I was um, chaplain, or not chaplain, I was the pastor of St. Peter's on Capitol Hill, where I, among other things I did, uh, I was a, ran a, a, a ministry to Catholic congressmen. We do dinners once a month. Uh, it didn't have to be Catholic. They all happen to be Catholic, but who's going to show up at the rectory if you're not Catholic, probably. <laughs> uh, and then I was a pastor out in a place called Potomac, Maryland. And then two years ago, in a couple of weeks, I got a phone call from uh, Archbishop Christophe Pierre, the Pope's representative to the United States. And he said, Father Bill Byrne. And I said, yes. He said, um, the Holy Father has named you to be the Bishop of Springfield, Massachusetts. Do you accept? And that's how much time you get to think about it. It's like a half a second. And I said, sure, I wow. will do whatever the Holy Father wants me to do. Well, wow. so there, there's no like think it over and get back to us next week. Yeah, like, oh, Take I'm going to mull it over. Oh, my goodness. Wow. <laughs> so what, my dog what? and I moved up to Massachusetts. And now I'm the Bishop of Western Massachusetts. Wow. I mean, what what is going on in your heart, in your mind when you get that? Like, was there any indication that this might happen or was it totally out of the blue or? I had had I have a couple of very good friends who are bishops and they're like, Do you, your name's being floated just so you okay. know. So, so they, you, you, you thought maybe it could happen at some point. Yeah. I thought maybe. Yeah. But uh-huh. I wasn't sitting there waiting, sitting by the phone. Saying, Hello. You know, I yeah. was, uh-huh. uh, I was doing my job. I was being pastor and. <laughs> baptizing babies and doing weddings and uh-huh. all those good things. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us, uh, we'll get into the show in a second, but I just want to, I'm, I'm wondering, uh, you know, I, I did know you a little bit back uh, in the day, just in your, in your time as a priest. I was a student at Catholic University, but I, I spent a fair amount of time at the Catholic Student Center through Encounter the Gospel of Life and uh, the vocation center that you would run at the Catholic Student Center at the University of Maryland. And I've known so many awesome people that have, that have uh, gone through that program at the University of Maryland. So it's interesting to, to see you and know you as a priest and then see you move into this, this big role as a bishop where you're in charge of many, many, many priests and many parishes. And uh, I guess what, what is your life like now as a, a bishop? Like, I well, know a it's lot of pretty people wild. I yeah. was 56 when I got the phone call. And so at 56 to have your entire life completely change in every single way, you know, I, um, geographically moving to Western Massachusetts and uh, the entire experience of being a bishop is, is much different than it is being um, uh, a parish priest. You have one parish, you know, it's almost like my parish now in a certain sense are all the priests of the diocese that 
When you are ordained a priest, you're configured to Jesus, the high priest. When you're ordained a bishop, you're configured to, God, to the father. And so you become a father of, of many, the father of fathers, if you will. Um, and, and so that we have, mine is a relatively small diocese, 79 parishes, but that's, uh, uh, that's, that's a lot. And, mm -hmm. um, and to just make sure that, uh, and, and I think my number one job, I, as I said from the beginning, was to love, to love people, to love the priests, um, and also work on some rebranding. Uh, and the church, especially in New England, has been hit hard in many ways, but especially with the uh, clergy scandals, none of which are, are, are new. They're all decades old, but still uh, they the the. The church held such a prominent position of power in, in in New England that, you know, the higher they are, the farther they fall. And so yeah. mm -hmm. I'm sort of that's a part of my job is to be in the trenches, making sure that we work on transparency and healing and working with the victims and victim survivors. So uh, every day is a, is a new adventure. Yeah, that's that's such good work and nece necessary work because there are so many people hurting even if they weren't directly connected to abuse or, or cover up that that happened, just I mean, it's been a great scandal for for I think for all of us. I'm sure, I'm sure for you and for me, for all of us, it's been a scandal. And so to be involved in the daily, like you know, somehow trying to, you know, do what we can to you know, not that you can ever make up for abuse, but to do what you can to to repair and heal, and then to try to make sure it doesn't happen again, or protect as much as you can against it happening again. That's that's important and, and necessary work. So, yeah. And Mike, I start out each day knowing that Jesus has already won the victory, so mm. it's not like it's not like we're we're trying to get the ball over the finish line. He's already done it, and now the devil's just trying to as his his kingdom is unfolding. Uh, the devil's just trying to get us in every way possible. And um, so it's, we can never lose hope because uh, we live in where we are in a living hope because of the resurrection. Uh, I think that's a, that's a really good perspective and it's easy to forget sometimes, you know, with the, the struggles of my own life and, and, and pains and sufferings, and I have a pretty good life, but you know, and even more so for people that have a lot of problems and, physical illnesses and, um, you know, stuff going on in their life. And then you look at the world and there's war and there's abuse and all these things going on. It's, it's easy to look at the world and feel like Jesus hasn't won, right? The right. ball's not over the finish line. It's easy to look at the world and feel like the, the devil has won. Um, and I think that's what you say is so important for us as Christians. Like we have to be the, 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 carrying the banner of hope that's saying, Hey, remember Jesus has won this. And this is just all the, the evil we see is just kind of the final death throws of right, Satan. I heard exactly. somebody compare it kind of, kind of to like the battle of the bulge in world war two, where like the allied forces, you know, they'd already invaded on D day and it was pretty clear the Nazis were going to lose, but the Nazis launched this like one last battle with the bulge, which kind of almost, you know, almost seemed like it was going to break through the allied lines, but it was just kind of like their final last hopeless you know, right. effort. And that's kind of what's going on right now. So I think that's a, that's a really good, um, it's a good metaphor. I'm going to steal that. All right. Yeah. Feel free. <laughs> yeah. I have total permission. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's a good transition into uh, the chosen and the life of Jesus, because the life of Jesus is all about inaugurating this kingdom of God, which is conquering the, the, the kingdoms of this world in a spiritual way. And, 
you know, winning that final victory through his life and ministry and death and resurrection. Uh, so if you're not familiar with the, what The Chosen is, it's just about to launch its third season at the end of 2022. Uh, it's a, this is straight from Wikipedia. It's a historical drama series created, directed, and co-written by American filmmaker Dallas Jenkins. It is the first multi-season series about the life and ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. The first season was the top <laughs> crowdfunded TV series or film project of all time. As of 2021, viewers had contributed $40 million towards its production, making it the most successful crowdfunded series project. So it's, it's all crowdfunded. I mean, people are just donating online to support the show. It's had two seasons, and it's, it's been really good. And we actually had uh, the guy that plays Judas on the show, Luke Dimian, uh, the actor. He came onto my show about a year ago. He did uh, our episode on Avatar The Last Airbender. So if you're either an Avatar fan or you're into The Chosen, go back and uh, to, Jan- I think it was January or February of 2021, and we had Luke on, and uh, he's he's great. He's He was only in a little bit of season two, but he's going to be in a lot of season three, and he's a fantastic actor. So shout out to Luke Dimian, who plays uh, Judas. So let's get into the show a little bit. I, I had asked you what you wanted to talk about, and this was one of the shows that you mentioned. What do you, what do you love about this show? Well, I think just before we talk about the show, I think you ask at the very uh question beginning you said what was jesus who he said he was supposed to be you know the historical jesus and what you have to realize is is that our relationship is not with a guy who lived two thousand years ago mm-hmm. sure our relationship with the guy who is truly god truly man and truly alive and risen now so we're talking about a present tense relationship and our experience of the past, our experience of media, the experience of anything like that is just his breaking in to our cloudiness uh, and allowing him to draw us more closely into relationship, not with him 2,000 years ago, but with him now, today, mm. present, tense. So, so maybe I'm asking the wrong question. Not was he who he says he was, but is he who he says he is because he's still yes. alive? Exactly. Right? So that's it's different than like learning about George Washington or Julius Caesar or Martin Luther King Jr. It's somebody who is alive and with us through our prayer lives, through the indwelling in us, yeah. indwelling in us, and mm-hmm. coming into our lives in the in the Eucharist and in the Word, and um, so it's more it's more about just letting Him break in now. And the chosen, I think, is a really great way uh, to 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 allow that to happen. I, I I'm so glad you started with that because the reason you know I've as a Catholic theology teacher for many years, I have previewed all the Jesus movies. If it comes out, I preview it because you know maybe when I go on a retreat and I need to leave my students with a movie for a day, I need to have something for them to watch. So I've I've watched them all, and the chosen I think is. When I watch The Chosen, more than any other Jesus movie or TV series or miniseries that has been done, when I watch The Chosen, it's the Jesus that I know. And what I mean by that is like when I go to prayer and I'm in in adoration in front of the Blessed Sacrament, when I go to Mass, when I read the scriptures, when when I'm worshiping in song with other people, all these various different experiences of God I've had throughout my life, when I watch The Chosen, it's the same Jesus. Like that's the sense I get. And I know Jonathan Rumi, the actor that plays Jesus is not actually Jesus, but just the, the way he speaks and the way he communicates, the way he treats people, it strikes me as like, Oh yeah, I know him. Like that's what it well, feels I've always like thought, to me. When I first started seeing, it, I thought, Oh, this guy, Jonathan Rumi must be a man of prayer because yeah. it's not like he just went and just like you said, where there it's this sort of like, 
hyper emotive Jesus or super dramatic or kind of sad or whatever it is, it, it, um, none of it sort of rings true in the same way that I think that Jonathan Rumi's uh, portrayal does. He, uh, so I thought he, this guy's a prayer. He, he knows Jesus, not just uh, from a book, but he knows him from this, from his prayer that day. Absolutely. And uh, there's a term that C.S. Lewis used to use uh, when he was like judging literature and he, he called it the Donegality of a thing. And what it meant was he, he, when he traveled to Ireland and he went to Donegal, he's like, there's a certain feel you get when you're in Donegal. And I think probably a lot of us Americans could relate to like New York city. When you're in New York city, it just kind of has a certain feel. And he's like, when you read good literature, you get that feel that that place really is real. Like star Wars has a certain star Warsiness to it, you know, Hogwarts, and when I, <laughs> Hogwarts has a certain Hogwartsiness to it. You know, it just feels yeah. like Harry Potter. And when I watch the chosen, it's like, this feels like, this feels like my savior. This feels like my Jesus, you know? <laughs> right. Get that and even though the, the, sometimes the, the sort of sets or whatever are, do have a little bit of a homemade feel, you know, like yeah, uh -huh. the rock walls look like, you know, like the, the play in the, um, <clears throat> you know, in the school gym, sometimes there's <laughs> a, a <laughs> But even still, it's like it's more their the characters and their interaction uh, and how they respond to one another that that gives it that donegality exactly. Yeah, and the acting is so good. The actors mm -hmm. just like really bring the characters to life. So. Um, the music is really good too. I don't know. Uh, so I'm a big musician. Back in the '90s, the the one of the first big, huge Christian music groups was a group called Jars of Clay, and right. their main lead, their main lead singer Dan Hasseltine is the guy that does all the music for the Chosen. So oh, really? Music That's... and all that. Yeah. So I really like the music. Um, I like that. Uh, it, there's a lot of things that it, it includes that I think sometimes can kind of go over your head when if you're just reading the scriptures. Like it, it talks about all the socio-political things that are going on with like the Romans and Herod, Antipas and all, all of that stuff in the, like the, the zealots and all, all the political stuff. I think it does really well. Um, it also includes a lot of the women, which if you read the gospel of Luke, like it always says, you know, and Jesus was going with his disciples and all these women that were with him, you know, jo right. Joanna and Mary and this other Mary, like, and so they have these, these women disciples. And I feel like a lot of the other uh, Jesus shows is just like, you know, it's got the dudes, but it doesn't have any of the women except right. for Mary Magdalene, maybe, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. That is true. You know, because especially in Luke's gospel, there is this, this particular role of women and how they are, uh, you know, the first witnesses of the resurrection, the central role. Um, and the, and, and the chosen brings that out in a way that is sort of pushed to the side, I think so often in our, portrayals now one of the things i was i was uh questions i was asking about at the beginning is it's easy to kind of be a little bit skeptical about these stories about jesus when we hear them at mass when we read them in the scriptures when we watch them portrayed in a show like the chosen the thousands of years ago they were passed around by word of mouth for a while before they were written down like how i don't know how do how do, how do you personally and how do you help people um, who are who are kind of skeptical about like well you know these stories they might have been changed through the years like how do how do you reconcile that? It's actually I think quite the the um, the opposite. I think there's a uh, Anglican scripture scholar who I'm a big fan of, N. T. Wright. Oh and, yeah, I love him. Yeah, 
And then T. Wright talks about the oral tradition and how that worked within the communities. And these stories that were told and retold were told by the storytellers. And if there was any deviation from the last telling, everybody would have known and would have called them on it. So that there was a certain purification of the story as opposed to a dilution of the story. So the, the familiar tales told around, you know, that this was entertainment. And tell us that story again about Jesus curing um, so-and-so. And and they'd be like, okay, it was, here's the setting. And so the pattern of the tale told time and time again sort of solidified its, uh, its, its actual, um, the, the, the essence of the, of the, uh, of the experience. So, in fact, it's quite the opposite of of not it being. It's not like a big game of operator where you start with one word at the end and then at the end it's completely different. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's actually the the crystallization of the tale told again and again in the same way. I'm I'm glad you said that because I think us living in a very digital literate culture where we we don't have to memorize much. We have everything written down. We can save it on our smartphones and have we have the entire world library of knowledge in our pockets. It's hard for us to imagine uh, an oral culture where things are accurately remembered. But you know these guys traveled around with Jesus and heard him preach in every town. Like if if I if I followed a musician around on tour or a stand up comic around on tour, like I would know their set list pretty well, and by the end I could probably do it. <laughs> just as well as them. And, you know, I think about how me and my buddies, we love to quote like movie lines, you know, from Anchorman or Dodgeball or or, or any of those. And if one of us gets it wrong, all the other ones like, no, that's not how it goes. You know, you didn't even do the voice right. You know, like we all call each other out on it because we're all, we all love those stories so much and we want to hear them communicated right. You know, how much more so for the followers of Jesus who heard him say these parables and these stories a bunch of different times. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad you 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 mentioned that, and I uh, I also love NT Wright. He has a great podcast called Ask NT Wright Anything. So, listeners, if you're if you want like a crash course in uh, you know biblical history and theology, check out the NT Wright um, podcast. He's really good. Uh, but the other thing I was going to mention, I'm drawing a blank on it. So maybe we'll come back to it. But uh, I want to get into some of these. Well, first of all, before we get into the characters of the show itself, is there anything else about the show itself that you just love or maybe anything you don't like um i mean there are some episodes that are great and some that are uh, so i mm-hmm. think it's not you know if you get in there and you don't feel it the first time keep at it because mm-hmm. um they really they, it really is on the aggregate an extremely impressive and positive uh spiritual experience so i recommend yeah. it mm-hmm. i recommend it so yeah and i feel like several several times my wife and i've watched it together and like we have tears in our eyes by the end of the episode yeah same here same yeah the stories of the people are they're like stories that we've been through ourselves or stories of people we know of of their conversion and their healing coming to jesus so Mm -hmm. coming to the church so we we, it seems real in that way too so are, are there any characters that stand out to you as particularly like powerful stories well you know i i think that the portrayal of Matthew, the tax collector, is oh, yeah. pretty interesting. Because at first glance, it seems like they've played him as somebody on the spectrum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wondered, like, why would that actor have chosen or the director and actor together have opted to do that? And I think part of that is that they, they, pray, they play him as hyper-focused. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and if he's going to be the chronicler, he's going to be the evangelist, of which basically the other uh, gospels, the other synoptic gospels, use Matthew as a primary source of their of their own story. That his hyper focus, his uh, and his quirkiness, his other, it's it's biblical in a way that they portray sort of physical traits as as representing something about his character. Yeah. So, you know, the we had the story of Zacchaeus um, in the gospel, and the story of Zacchaeus um, is he's portrayed as short. Yeah. And his shortness is not just about a physical trait. It's about his smallness mm. of his being which is uh, not to say that all short people are small, but it's a biblical way. It's a biblical shorthand, I think, for giving, uh, for saying something about the person. And and I've thought that, that I've always thought at first I was a little off put by it. And now I think it's his portrayal is, is excellent. I also think Peter is a great, I, I, I find him, Let's hold on. Let's hold on a second. Let's let's stick with Matthew for a second, because I I have uh, yeah I was a teacher for a long time, and I've taught many students on various places on the autism spectrum with various different learning disabilities or or gifts, and just a lot of different types of students from all different backgrounds, all different abilities, all different families, all different work ethics, all different cultures, and Matthew seems realistic to me. Like I can totally see Matthew as like one of the kids that I would have taught. And, you know, I would have had to just cause he's a, he was a different, a different sort of person, a different sort of kid that I, I might've had to kind of take special care with or explain things to in a slightly different way or, or just kind of, I would have had to take a little bit of special care with him, but he seems realistic to me. And I love the way that Jesus sees him and sees, you know, he's, he's kind of outcast, you know, and he, as a, as a tax collector, he's seen as betraying his people. Cause the tax collectors in those days, it's not just like today where we hate IRS agents. Cause, Oh, that's my money. You know, like the, right. the tax, the tax collectors were Jewish people who were working for the Romans and oftentimes exploiting their own people and getting rich off it. So they weren't, they weren't just seen as like, Oh, I don't like taxes. They were the people who were betraying their own people, betraying their God and seen as like greedy and corrupt on top of it. So he was outcast in all sorts of ways. One, cause he's a little bit different, you know, he's a little neurodivergent and different, maybe a little geeky, but then all these other things. And he's like rejected by his family and the way Jesus just takes him and sees him and says, I see something in you. I just think that that is how it's so realistic to how God works with so many of us that we seem outcast. It seems like nobody thinks anything of us. We often are down and down in the dumps or feel rejected or misunderstood but the Lord sees something good in us and he can, he can work, work with that. I, um, I, I taught, love... yeah, I taught school for three years before entering the seminary and sort of discernment and, and in the Catholic boys school outside of DC called Mater Day. And oh, yeah. the school, mm-hmm. um, you know, in that experience, you're right. There is this kid that's sort of like the quirky kid, but like Matthew, who's super smart, you know, like they sort of, and and the Lord sees something in him, just like he does in Zacchaeus, that, that the world doesn't see and that Matthew wouldn't see in himself. And certainly his family and his uh, the people that loathed him. And, and it reminds me, I think, of how the Lord looks at each one of us. 
The Lord looks at each one of us and doesn't, he sees not just who we are, but he sees who we can be mm-hmm. uh, and pulls that potential forward. Because sinfulness is not, Matthew being an extortionist is not who Matthew was. Mm-hmm. It's really who Matthew wasn't. Ooh. You know, that our sinfulness is, is a lack of who, of a being. It's not being itself. And so it's being, it's not being ourselves. It's not being the one that the Lord has chosen us from the beginning of time to be. And so this is an example, I think, of, uh, or a powerful example of, of, of how God looks at you and me and sees and pulls in us the potential to be who he's created us to be. I think that's so important because so often we can kind of justify the bad things about us and our sinfulness because we say, oh, that's just who I am. That's just, that's just my character. All right, so let's talk a- about Peter. What do you love about Peter's story in this? Well, I think Peter is, uh, I think it's an incredibly, uh, for me, it's a very authentic portrayal of, you know, you sort of often picture Peter as sort of like an elder statesman, you know, in the imagery with the, and if you go through St. Peter's Basilica, he's got a big beard and um, <clears throat> looks like a, a wise grandpa and, and here we see him as sort of like a uh, the scrappy fisherman who's yeah. filled with uh doubts and his own um humanity his own you know uh, weaknesses and uh and yet his courage and the the lord calling him to uh to the greatness which he'll eventually be realized in the Circus Vaticanus many years later. Oh, when, because at, at the end of his life, he's eventually crucified. Yeah. Right. Upside down. Mm-hmm. There's a, I also love the portrayal of, of Peter. He's almost kind of like, I feel like in, in some places in this show, they, they almost made the different characters. It's, it's almost like watching a teen movie where they have like the stereotypes in the high school, like the quarterback and the bad boy and the, right. you know, the, the pretty girl and the, the geeks and that sort of thing. And I feel like they made, right. they made Peter kind of the bad boy of the group. He was like getting in fights and kind of doing some sketchy business on the side, but really he's got a good heart at, at the, you know, it, at deep down, he's, he's got that good heart. And I love that. Again, I feel like I've known some real people like this who they're kind of kind of on the edge. They could go either way, right? <laughs> it's kind of towards making some not great decisions or some great decisions, but they really do have a heart of gold. And if they have the right mentorship and the right community around them, then they really can be a leader. But even once Peter is starting to follow Jesus, he's not really sure what to do. Sometimes he feels like he's got to be the muscle and he's got to protect Jesus. And other times he feels like he has to be a leader, but then he's fighting with James and John. And so he's not really sure what he's supposed to do, but he knows he's supposed to follow Jesus and he's supposed to be good, even if he doesn't know what be good really means, but he's like really trying. And I I just, I I think that's really beautiful. I also think it's, they they show the relationship with his wife. And when Jesus comes to heal his mother-in-law, I think that's really beautiful as well. Just kind of shows his, his heart for his family. So. It kind of reminded me when I was at the university of Maryland and you had like the lacrosse dudes or whatever, you know what I mean? And they're sort of Mm -hmm. like, trapped in their stereotype you know he's like a, not that he's a but a, you know he's a scrappy fisherman um yeah. and suddenly being called upon to to take this role that is completely unfamiliar to him um and 
And what happens to us, uh, each of us, when we when we are new at responsibility or new at power or new, uh, and and sort of the missteps that can happen along the way in, in trying to determine, you know, what the mission really is and how we fit into it. Uh, and that's a process for each one of us. I mean, I think to myself as somebody suddenly new to a new experience, I, I can see that you want to know, you want people to think that you know what you're doing when inside you don't really know what you're doing yet. And, um, and that can come across in, in not always the most positive ways. And I think there's something about Peter in this that speaks to our own humanity when we're faced with responsibility. One of the main characters that gets debated a lot uh, online, especially between Catholics and, and Protestants with this show, is the portrayal of the Blessed Mother, Jesus's mother, Mary, in this show. Do you have uh, thoughts on the way that she's portrayed in this show? Yeah, I have to say I have a, um, you know, a genuinely positive uh, experience of the portrayal of Mary. Um, she comes across as very maternal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. Uh, and sort of wise and mature. I don't follow those discussions just because I don't have the time. But what 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 are yeah. what is the what are the? Um, um I think some people, uh, some some of our more Protestant evangelical brothers and sisters, maybe think she gets too much attention. Uh, some of some Catholics think she's portrayed maybe as too too normal and and not holy enough. Like I think there was in in one of the episodes. She said, like, you know, she was she was talking about being a young mother and she's talked about like being scared or afraid or something like that. And some people were like, oh, the Blessed Mother would never be afraid. You know, she would (laughs) she would be, you know, brave. And, you know, she was conceived without sin, so she wouldn't have had any fear. She would have had understanding. And um, in one of the Christmas episodes, they show uh, the birth of Jesus. And she was like, you know, she had pain in her birth and it's kind of a a Catholic theological discussion like because in the book of genesis it says that increased labor pain is one of the like penalties of sin for eve and for women because of the first sin so it's kind of been speculated about in theology since the early centuries that mary would not have had any pain and i think um i forget which theologian maybe it's bonaventure said that you know when she was giving birth it would have been almost like light passing through glass or something like that. Like Jesus could just kind of would have exited her and that it wouldn't have caused her any pain. Um, so some, some people have taken, um, issue with that portrayal. Um, I don't know, personally in the, in the, in, I know in the book of revelation chapter 12, it talks about the mother of the the savior groaning in, in labor pain. So I don't, I don't think that's personally, (laughs) um, an issue, but I don't, I don't know if, uh, so that that's what a lot of the discussion is about. Is is she too holy? Is she not holy enough? Um, right. But yeah, my my thoughts are. I, I think it's it's done pretty well for the most part. Um, yeah, I agree. And um, I, I and it does. Uh, I suppose maybe the word isn't right, but it 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 does confound me a bit when when people say, "Well, she's overly portrayed," or she's given too much attention. It's like. Well, the whole story wouldn't have happened without her. So, <laughs> you know, let's face it. Let's be realistic about her role. She's not the savior, but she certainly we wouldn't have had the savior without her. Yeah, yeah. She def she definitely had a unique role, you know. Yeah. And I think she gets and some still credit. Does. You know, yeah, by by the yeah, still does as as our as uh, you know praying for us up in heaven. Um, 
you know, and I, I think obviously all of that's by God's grace, you know, it's not like she did it on her own, you know, cause she's so great. You know, we think she's great because God, God made her great, you know, and she, right. she was able in her own small way to cooperate with that grace. Um, yeah, but if you read the gospel of Luke, especially, I mean, the whole beginning of the gospel of Luke is basically about Mary <laughs> and right. her and, yes. And, yeah. and what we face in the, in the world today is a crisis of faith. And that faith is not really whether or not, the Blessed Mother, because she was immaculate conceived, would have not had birth pains. It's like people don't even know Jesus. They don't know that how much they were loved. They don't. Know. It seems like we're yeah. dealing on a whole other plane that we need to be working on, and yeah. and not sort of an obscure theological argument. Um, and rather, we need Amen. to be concentrating on, yeah, God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son for you, for yeah. me. Mm-hmm. And how incredibly personal the whole thing is. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Because I think a lot of people, especially if they haven't had a lot, uh, well, either either if they've had bad experiences of church or if they've had no experiences of church and just kind of go on what the culture says, their impression of the church, their impression of Christians is very judgmental, very hateful, which and not God so loved the world, but God so hated the world. And he thinks you're unworthy and you're bad and you're sinful and you're going to burn forever. And we're here to tell you how much you are going to burn unless you do exactly what we say and don't have sex. Like that's, that's the stereotype that so many people have. And unfortunately some people have experienced that in real life from maybe well-intentioned, but misguided Christians. Um, So I, I think you're absolutely right when we kind of focus in on some of these, I don't want to say it's unimportant, but I think it's, you're right. It's less important than, Hey, God is real and he loves you. And he loves you so much that he came down here and took on flesh and experienced everything that we experienced and, and conquered death. And we're all standing on the other side of that. And just like you said at the beginning, yes, there's still evil in the world. The devil is, you know, trying his best to ruin things as much as he can, but we already know he's lost, right? We already stand in in the victory of Christ. So uh, yeah, I think that's a great refocusing (laughs) on what really matters. So yeah. Because it all makes sense from the inside looking out when we think about our teachings on, you know, human sexuality and marriage and family and all these, these, these elements of our faith, they make sense once you're in relationship with Jesus and yeah. uh, and are living, trying to live the virtuous life. Uh, then then things clear up along those those um, other topics. Yeah. Among especially the moral life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, that's what I found in my own life is that whenever I've had a a struggle with some teaching of the church, I I look into it and I talk to people that I respect and are living that way. And then it really starts to make sense. And now I say, all right, now I see the, you know, the beauty of it. Now I see how it, how it works. And yeah. So Uh, where I wanted to go next was he's not a major character, but I think he has a lot of things to teach us in our day and age is uh, Simon the Zealot. So a little bit of history for those who aren't into biblical history. So there was a lot of people at the time of Jesus who thought the answer to the Romans was a violent overthrow. You know, the Romans were occupiers who had conquered their land. They were colonizers and they were oppressing the people of Israel in a, in a, a real way. And so the zealots were those who thought of violent overthrow. And so we see Simon, he's doing like, you know, I, I think this might be a bit of an anachronism, but he's like doing ninja moves and s- jump spins and kicks and that sort of thing. I don't know how much martial arts they had back in first century <laughs> Judea, you know, 
Um, but he kind of has this, you know, we are the people of God. We're on the side of right. These Romans are the evil oppressors. And basically by any means necessary, we need to rise up and overthrow them. And so he's got this knife. He's training in secret. And I think there's a lot of people nowadays who have that same sort of mindset. And you just look over the past few years at the increase in political violence and, and you know, riots. And, and, you know, just a few weeks ago, we had somebody uh, uh, attack Nancy Pelosi or Nancy Pelosi's husband come into their house. And we have the, the January 6 riots and we have, you know, Portland and the, the riots there. And um, there's been a lot of political violence and it's, it's, um, it's just, it's easy when you feel like you're so justified and the other side is so evil and I'm so right and they're so bad. Why wouldn't I use violence, right? If it, they really, if those people really are evil, if they really are like Nazis, if they really are like the devil, then why can't I use any means necessary, even if it means blowing up a business, assaulting Congress, um, breaking into somebody's house, um, you know, setting a cop car on fire, shooting someone. And I think Simon teaches us when Simon encounters Jesus, Jesus tries to show him there's a different enemy here, you know, that the enemy is not really my political enemies. You know, the enemy really is the, the hatred inside of all of us. I don't know. Did, did, did Simon's story strike you in that way? It definitely struck me. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it is, um, it, I mean, he was a zealot, so he would have been, that would have been his stripes regardless of um, whether he knew Jesus or not. And especially Jesus bringing forth, you know, the awaited Messiah, the zealot brings forth what the expectations of most of the people at the time of Jesus would have had in the Messiah, the new David, the one to raise an army, the one to uh, restore the righteousness of, of the Judean people and their place as God's favorite in a very physical, tangible and military reality. Um, yeah. So it just makes that expectation clear, I think, from a plot line point of view. But it also brings to mind this sense that each one of us have is like in the face of seeming injustice, you know, somebody who's bad gets rewarded. We think to ourselves, wait a second, I've been doing all the right stuff and I'm the one who gets sick or gets blood tire or whatever it is. And these people that don't do that. Uh, and Jesus is challenging that continuously within within each one of us saying, no, 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 no. There, there, there's a whole new reality and a whole new truth. And what you think from a worldly perspective, you know, the, a gospel of prosperity or any of these things, that, that's not what the real gospel is. And that's not who Jesus mm. is. And it, so I yeah, think he well, challenges that in each one of us. It's like, you know. I'm going to go out and get this for myself. And it's like, no, 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 no. Jesus is the savior, not me. And I've got yes. to let him be the savior through me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like I struggle with that. I feel like I need to do it. I'm the one who's going to do it. And if I don't do it, it's not going to get done a lot of times. Um, yeah. But you're, you're, you're right. Jesus teaches us a different way. It makes me think of the Beatitudes in Matthew five and especially in, in Luke, I think it's Luke six where uh, the Beatitudes is a, a bunch of sayings of Jesus where he says, you know, blessed or happy are those who do this. And when we think of blessings and hashtag blessings and there's rap songs about blessings on blessings on blessings, you know, it's like I got 
my my hot girl and I got my fancy clothes and I got, you know, my diamonds dripping on my neck and I got all this. And that's what we think of as blessings. But what Jesus says are blessed are the poor and woe to the rich, right? <laughs> that's what he says. He says, no, the, the rich, that's not blessings. Actually, woe to you. Woe to you who have everything and everything's going fine for. Um, because often you don't recognize your need for God. You don't recognize that really inside you have this deep spiritual poverty. And so um, Jesus tells us, blessed are you when, when you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness and justice, when you're treated unjustly, you're blessed in those situations that look on the surface, nothing like a blessing. And that requires a total mind shift, mindset change, a, a paradigm shift um, that I think is if you right. take it's, it seriously like and you bring it to prayer, it can set you free. You know? At the beginning, you were like, your excellency. And it's like, if you become a bishop because you think your excellency is a cool thing, you're in it for the <laughs> wrong reason. You know, it's like, sure, some people will call you that, but it's because of the office, not the person. And uh, and but it's 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 about rolling up your sleeves and being a servant and not being deserved. Um, and it's easy to get that mixed up in your your head uh, mm-hmm. to be the one will have this expectations of well they should have known that I needed a spot to be coned in front of the church or whatever it's like <laughs> no 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 dude you know you can park somewhere else uh, and I think that's that's part of it and each one of us is sort of like this um, sense of uh, entitlement. And, and no, it's not that it's discipleship, uh, not entitlement. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that's good to hear. Well, and and specifically the time you said it was 2018 or 2020 when you were named a bishop 2020. Yeah. 2020, you know, that was just a few years after the, the whole Cardinal McCarrick scandal, like, like Bishop, Bishop was like, not a cool thing to be in 2020, (laughs) you know, so. I can, I can just imagine, you know, accepting that like you, you probably, I mean, I would imagine you probably get a lot of hate and a lot of criticism. Well, um, I mean, it's the, you're a successor of the apostles. And if you look uh, with the exception of John, the beloved, things didn't end well for all the, for the, you know, for the original guys, they all mm-hmm. ended up uh, as martyrs uh, proclaiming the gospel. And so I guess in some way that is part of the job description, hopefully it's not a physical martyrdom if it's a, but whatever it is that the Lord asked me to do, I pray God that I have the the courage and the wisdom to do what is the will of the Father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think it's uh, I think it's good you have that perspective. I I feel like I've struggled with that a little bit. You know, I'm I'm a Catholic speaker. I get to travel around and um, to different parishes and different events and conferences. But I'm not like one of the. I'm not like a Father Mike or an Emily Wilson or Jason Everett. Like I'm kind of C-list Catholic speaker, you know. Yeah. But sometimes I show up to a parish to do something, and they have like a green room where I can go, and they have like snacks for me, and I'm like, huh, this is nice, you know. And they pay me well, and people treat me kind of like you know, like I'm a bit, kind of a big deal. And then I go to the next parish, and it's just like. You know, I just walk in and nobody knows anything. Nobody knows who I am. Nobody, you know, the event's not starting on time. Nobody knows where I plug in my guitar. And and there's a temptation within me to be like, 
they don't even have a good sound system. You know, they don't even have, <laughs> you know, <laughs> a bottle of water for me or whatever. Uh-huh. And, and it, I, I constantly, like I have, I have this routine I go to before I do every event and, and before every podcast where I was just like, Lord, this is all for your glory. It's not about like who follows me or if my podcast gets listens or if, if people think I'm great or whatever. Right. Like it's really all for for you, you know? And so, um, I think for all of us in, in various different ways that we're trying to serve the Lord, it's important to, to not get puffed up, you know? And, um, I, we see the disciples struggling with that same thing, like John and James, they're saying, uh, you know, can we, can we sit on your right and your left Lord? And Jesus is like, hold up, hold up, hold up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're going to drink. If you're going to follow me, like, this is what you're signing up for. What you're signing up is like persecution and martyrdom and death. And yeah, suffering. that's what the cup is. <laughs> that's the what cup you're signing up the, for. The ire of the Father, not, it's not the cup of, you know, it's not a smoothie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Um, we can't go, we're closing in on the end here, but we need to talk about Mary Magdalene because she's such a powerful part of this show. Um, did you have a thoughts on, on Mary's character arc here? Yeah. I mean, I think that the reality is, is everyone, the classic portrayal of Mary Magdalene is, uh, is a prostitute, but there's nothing mm-hmm. in scripture that says that she was the one who was cured of seven demons. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that experience of her redemption from the demonic possession uh, is, I think, very powerful. And then, her sort of lapse and then return. Uh, I don't want to be a spoiler alert for a spoiler mm-hmm. alert for everybody, but um, and then the one who's you know eventually we know her to be at the foot of the cross. I, I mm-hmm. think it's um, I think it's valuably portrayed, and uh, and I find her character the conflict that she experiences along the way is so true to our own experience, at least my experience of discipleship of like second guessing sometimes uh and and just doubting ourselves and maybe not trust in the lord and so that's what i i find how about you yeah well i i also love that whole story where she again spoilers uh where she kind of falls back for a little bit into an old way of life and they have to like go and find her and like pull her out of it and feels like so ashamed and jesus is just like come here. You know, it's a very prodigal son moment. And I, I just thought that was so beautiful. That, w- that was one of the episodes where my wife and I were like crying yeah, same here. <laughs> when she comes back. Cause she, she feels like she's ruined it all. You know, she feels like I had this chance, I had this second chance and I blew it. And she's just like, well, you get another chance. Um, and I also love the way they introduced her character again, spoilers here for the first like episode or two, she's not called Mary. She's called, she goes by this name Lilith and it's the first person to speak her name. And the first time we hear the name Mary is when Jesus goes and meets her at the bar and she's like, and he, and he's like trying, trying to get her to come with him. And she's like, get away from me. And she starts running away and he just says, Mary, and she stops and she turns around and, uh, and it has that scripture. It's like, you know, I have called you by name there. And it's just, a, it's a really powerful moment that she finally is like called by her real true name. And that's what allows her to, to come out of it. And then Nicodemus witnesses all this. And then he starts coming. I love the, the conversation between him and Nicodemus too. I just think it's, it's Oh, really it's amazing. I, I that character is so well played. It's funny though. Yeah. When, when I was watching and, and that sort of, she, the, the lapse and the return to the old lifestyle, I remember thinking to myself, while I was watching, I was like, come on, go back, go back. And then I was like, wait a second. 
I know the end of the story. <laughs> I was like, oh, really? Like, they're going to change the Bible and she's not going to be at the mm-hmm. foot of the cross and yeah. uh, announce the resurrection? And uh, so I did. I did, had to laugh at myself because I was so sort of into that moment. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel it the same way. It's like, spoilers for something that yeah. happened 2,000 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> we all know the story. Yeah, very good. All right, well... Uh, we need to wrap things up here. Is there anything else about uh, the chosen you want to? Uh, no, I've enjoyed our conversation. Done? Me too. If there's anyone listening that um, maybe they are one of those people who are struggling with doubts, maybe they're one of those people who feels like they ruined their chance or they ruined their second chance, and they're maybe a little skeptical about all this Jesus stuff. Is there, as as someone who is a representative of of the church, um, and maybe somebody who's been hurt by the church, what message would you want them to to hear from? people who are in ministry like you and me. Yeah. I mean, there's, first of all, there's God's capacity to forgive and to heal is greater than our capacity to sin. So don't Mm. let shame keep you away. You know, it'd be a shame to die. It'd be horrible to die of shame as opposed to experiencing true mercy. You know, shame is when we judge ourselves. Mercy is when we let ourselves be forgiven. And, um, and that's the first message. And the second message is, is, you know, if you've experienced any sort of uh, pain at the hands of somebody who's in a, you perceive as a representative of the church, you, each person is as much a part of the body of Christ as, as Mike or myself or the Pope or um, anybody. We are all shares and each called to have a role within uh, the church. So uh, don't let one person keep you away from Christ um, and to know that he gave us the church as his, as his body, as his family. Um, and so you can't do it alone. You need to do it with each other. So that's our journey mm-hmm. together. Yeah. I think that's a very important message. And I guess what I would say is, especially for those who, who have been hurt, uh, watching a show like The Chosen, you get the sense that the disciples, the apostles, they were real people with real flaws, you know, and if your experience of church is, you know, Judas and not Peter or maybe Peter on a bad day, because you definitely see Peter on a bad day sometimes or Mary on a bad day. Like sometimes we experience those those people and and that those are real hurts. Um but the church is also, as Pope Francis says, it's not a, a it's something like it's not a hotel for the holy. It's a hospital for the the hurting or something like that. And we we need to find a place to be healed. So if you are one of those people that has been hurt, I encourage you to, you know, I know it can be hard, but to try to, to find a community that can help you walk that road of healing, maybe the sacrament of reconciliation, maybe going back to mass, uh, maybe some therapy or some healing, or maybe just some, some, some good friends. Uh, it can take some work to find, but I really encourage you. I know in my own life, it's been uh, very helpful and led to a lot of healing uh, by the grace of Christ. So. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Bishop Byrne, for being with us. Would you uh, close us in prayer for all the people listening here? On Absolutely. The about? In the name of the right, Father. So listeners, where, wherever you are, listeners, just let's take a moment to pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, you sent your only begotten Son to find us, to save us, to heal us. He died for our sins that we may uh, be with you forever in heaven. He is risen from the dead so that even every hatred, every death, even death itself has been conquered by your love. May our encounter with 
the risen Christ be a daily reality. May he live within us, in you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be indwelling in us, that we may come to know that kingdom to which you've called us. Uh, Lord, heal all those who may have been away or are away from, from you and your church. Uh, bless those who who seek to bring your healing in a special way. Bless Mike and uh, his family. Uh, and also uh, bless the church that we may always bring your message with joy and peace and love and not with judgment or anger or ire. Uh, and we ask this all through Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, amen. Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Son, Holy Spirit, amen. And we'd be remiss. We're recording this on Halloween, the Eve of All Saints Day, All Hallows Eve. So I'd like to say, all you holy men and women, pray for us. Since we were talking about the, all the apostles us. and the Blessed Mother, I think <laughs> so this this show will probably come out uh, sometime in the end of November or December when season three of The Chosen uh, comes out and releases. It's going to be released first, uh, the first few episodes in theaters, and then it'll be online for everyone. And if you haven't watched it, I really encourage you to watch it. It's really good, um, and I, I think you'll you'll be touched as many as of us have. Um, Bishop Byrne, thank you so much for being with us, Your Excellency. I I think you really are excellent. You're an excellent <laughs> guest, so I have no problem calling you. I'm an excellent eater. I'm an excellent. Uh... <laughs> awesome. And if people want to uh, know more about you or, or or follow you anywhere, where can they where can they find you? Well, on Inst- online or Instagram, I'm wd. Uh, Bishop W. D. Byrne, B. Y. R. N. E. Um, and my dog Zelly also has an Instagram page, Z E L I E Zelly the Episcopop. Um, and <laughs> also you can find uh, things at diospringfield.org, D I O Springfield.org. And you have a book also. I did. Five, I do. Five Things with uh, Father Bill uh, Humor and Hope for, for the Soul. Uh, which you can right, we'll get put, on we'll, Amazon and yeah. or any place where you get your books. And I have a yeah, YouTube. We'll put all that stuff. I have a YouTube. Oh, we'll put all this stuff in the show notes. But yeah, tell us about your YouTube. YouTube, uh, some YouTube videos, um, not just spiritual shorts, but also some doing five things, five thing reflection. So uh, check That's those great. out. All right. We'll put all of those in the show notes. Thank you, uh, Bishop Byrne, and thank you, all you listeners, for being with us. If this show has touched you, the best way you can help our show is by sharing it with someone. Maybe you know someone who's into The Chosen, or maybe you know someone just just has experienced some of the things that we've talked about, and you can send them a screenshot, send them a link, text it to them, send it to them on your messenger, and just say, hey, I think you'd really enjoy this episode. So many people have come to the show because of that. And if you want to support our show in a deeper way, you can go to popculturecatechism.com and become a patron. There are six levels of giving. You can pick one that fits your uh, tithe or your budget. And each one of those six levels of giving come with perks. Uh, and everyone who is a patron gets access to exclusive content. So for each episode, so for example, for this episode, when season three does come out, I will give my review of season three, but that's only for patrons through the Awaken app. And then also all my talks that I give in my speaking ministry also go into the Awaken app. And it's only for the pop culture catechist community who are patrons of my show. And there's lots of other perks at the different giving levels. Speaking of the Awaken app, the Awaken Catholic, Awaken Catholic is the organization that runs uh, this podcast and lots of other great podcasts as well. And they have an app, which is a free app for everyone. There's a great Christian Catholic community on there. That's a little less toxic than some other places on social media. They have a great Christian music library and a great uh, prayer library with Latin, Spanish, and English prayers. And then if you are a patron of one of the shows like this show, you also get lots of exclusive content, especially for like Advent and Lent and that sort of thing. Um, 
And so we really encourage you to download the Awakened Catholic app. And a special shout out to our patrons, uh, especially Carl and Melissa Gore, Lisa and Bob Tenney, Maggie and Steve Hubbard, and Emily and Tom Converiati, and all our patrons. Thank you so much. Uh, leave your comments below, and we love you. God loves you more. We will see you next time.